Well, we are now in the fourth week of our five-week series, Advent, Then and Now. So we're looking back and we're seeing how God has worked, how he's fulfilled his promises, but we're looking ahead for that second Advent, the one that gives us great hope for the future. And we've been looking at that. You know, who is coming was the first week. We now we find out that one who is coming is the shepherd servant king, the Messiah who came. But the one who's coming back is the victorious king and judge. And the following week, week Rick's base message is when is he coming? When is he coming? And we know he came in history. He came in 4 BC. He's actually an historical figure. He was born He is now someone that we can go back on and say, He is actually a human being who came. Amen? But He's going to come back again like a thief in the night. Then last week, Frank was preaching on, How is He coming? And He came ignoble means in poverty. There was actually shame surrounding what was going on. He came stealth, right? And yet, how's he coming back? He's coming back in the sky with trumpets. It's an amazing thing. This is, this is our God. This is what we're looking at during the Advent season. And today we're going to answer the question, where is he coming? The scripture text that gives us our answer is Micah 5, 1 through 5. Micah was a prophet who lived in 700 B.C. He was a contemporary of Isaiah who spoke to the northern kingdom about their impending defeat and captivity at the hands of the Assyrian Empire because of their continued rebellion and sin against the Lord. Micah spoke at the same time, but he spoke his message to Judah, which was the southern kingdom, basically saying the same thing. You are facing impending doom at the hand of the Assyrian Empire because of your rebellion and sin before the Lord. And the book of Micah interspersed doom and hope. Throughout the book, you have these prophecies about what's going to happen and then these prophecies of hope. Micah 5 is a prophecy of hope which foretells the birthplace of the coming Messiah. So I'm going to read Micah 5, 1 through 5a. Now muster your troops. O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrata, and this is my Italian version, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be in great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. That is an amazing prophecy. In the middle of the Assyrian Empire bearing down on you to lay siege on the city and to pretty much bring all of you into captivity. And here is this amazing prophecy. And it's clear, by the way, Micah describes this prophecy. It's first and foremost a challenge to the people of Judah about where they're putting their hope. 
Micah prophesied during very troubling times. Judah was in big trouble. They were being threatened. And they already saw the northern kingdom taken into captivity. And as we said, this is the result of people living a lifestyle that was more influenced by their culture of self-reliance, their culture of worldly wisdom, and it was direct rebellion against living under the lordship of God. Micah 6 says it this way, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So the city that's being talked about in verse 1 is Jerusalem. And it's an image of abject defeat and hopelessness. That's what that's an image of. I mean, these troops that you're going to muster up, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be laid siege. You're going to be taken over, Jerusalem, and your king is going to be humiliated and embarrassed. That's what that whole idea, the judge of Israel on the cheek, it's, it's the idea that this judge who's the king is basically going to be humiliated and, and run out of Jerusalem. And so there's this image of Jerusalem, the great city of Jerusalem, abject defeat and hopelessness. And, and basically, Micah is saying, why would you cling to worldly power and worldly wisdom and ungodly leadership? It is an empty hope. It is a counterfeit hope. It's a false hope. And he's calling the people to recognize that they need, they need to recognize this truth in order to have real hope. So isn't this very often our condition too? When trouble and sorrow come, some due to our own sin, some due to the broken world we live in, it's very difficult, isn't it? We find ourselves having all sorts of doubts about God. How about you? You find yourself doing that? Especially in hard times, maybe just even hearing the news sometimes, you doubt that God's in control of what's going on. But we, we, we do this. We doubt his love for us. When hard things happen to us or our family or things are happening, we doubt his love for us. Sometimes you're basically saying, what did I do wrong? Or why is God angry at me? Have you ever, has that ever happened with you? You know, it's, it's, it's at these times when we're like this that we have a sense that life has no purpose anymore. What's the purpose? And what we do a lot of times is we run out and we cling and we run after counterfeit hopes, false hopes. We depend on our self-reliance. You know, we, we make our family uh, an idol. We're worried about our reputation. We want to have worldly success. We, we go after riches. We, we love to enter into entertain, entertainment. Like, we have all kinds of things that are false hopes that we cling to when we're going like this. But Micah, in this prophecy, is sharing with the people of Judah and us here today that we don't need to lose heart and we do not have to go after false hopes because we have a great, unshakable hope. Do you believe that today? We have a great, unshakable hope. It begins with the birth of a ruler. 
in the backwater village of Bethlehem, as Frank preached last week, you know, pretty much no one knew what was happening. One who's coming forth from old, from ancient times. And we know that 700 years later, a baby was born in Bethlehem who was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Let me read Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, they were talking about Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 700 years later, this Jesus came forth from old, from ancient of days. You know what this means? It means that Jesus existed before he was in Bethlehem. His Human life began in the womb of Mary, and that's a wonderful truth. But deeper is that Jesus is eternal. He is divine. He is God in the flesh. John 1 tells us the Word was with God and the Word was God. This Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Paul tells us in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hallelujah. This is this baby we're talking about. This is the one who was before, because it says, it didn't say a son was born, it says a son was given. Got it? Given. That's so powerful. And Jesus himself confirms this in John chapter 8. They're talking to him. They're asking him questions. And 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus talking. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even yet 50 years old. Like, how have you seen Abraham? Like, you're definitely nuts. There's something wrong with you. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. That is the word for God. Jesus confirms that he was God in the flesh. Hallelujah. That's that first great truth as we're looking at this particular prophecy. The second great truth about the war who would come is he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of his name. Micah is telling the people of God what Jesus had told them in John 10 in fulfillment of this. He is the good shepherd. Listen to these words from John 10, verses 27 and 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What a Savior. 
we have in Jesus. How wonderful is he? He loves us and is absolutely committed to us. Do you see that wording? Nothing is going to snatch. He's absolutely committed to us. This is the God of the universe. Take that in for a second. When's the last time you had that thought? And then the third thing we see about the ruler born in Bethlehem. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And we have to look at this peace, and we need to understand it, because there's a number of levels of this peace. If you listen to Paul in Ephesians 2, 13 to 18, listen to what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Two things going on there. What is that hostility? Hostility with God first, because the wages of sin are death and we were all accountable before God. So all of us were sinners. But on that cross, he brought peace with God so that we can now be reconciled to God. We can come to him now and he can forgive us of our sins and we become children of God. But there's a deeper one that goes horizontal because now that I have peace with God and God is the lover of my soul and my father, I now live differently in my relationships in this world because I can step in and I can forgive in the same way God forgave me. Hallelujah. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. That's us. And peace to those who were near. That's the Jewish people. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have this peace. And that peace isn't just with God. It's with one another. And by God's grace, we will live that out as a church here at Bridge. And the church of Christ will live it out throughout the world. And we will see new types of relationships. Because right now, it's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal. Jesus Christ stands to shepherd the flock because he stands ever vigilant to watch over us. We may sit down in utter security at his feet and gaze on the green pastures, which he brings by his word, knowing that we're safe. That's a big thing, isn't it? Knowing that we're safe. I mean, where are we safe in this world? Come on. Where are we safe? I mean, we're afraid to... People are afraid to go anywhere. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. There's terrorism all over the place. We, we hear of these killings and you know, different things going on and children aren't safe. I mean, we live in a world with so much fear. We have no idea. Nobody feels safe. But there is a place where we're safe, brothers and sisters, and that's in the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen? We're secure there. He is our peace. What a picture. Jesus, the shepherd, stands in constant watchful care. His eyes always on us. We can never stray out of the line of his sight. And nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. 
That's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This good shepherd holds us and he never overlooks us. So can we can rest securely in him. And I know that for all of us, that's a hard thought. Because you know what the world wants us to believe? The world wants us to believe there is nothing safe. There's no place we can go. But Jesus, this ruler, this baby who came and went to the cross, he has made it so safe because we are now in him. And when we are in him, then everything that's the blessing, and we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes to come, we now have. It's there. Nobody can take it from us. Death can't take it from us. Suffering can't take it from us. All the hard things in the world, nothing can take it from us. We need to hear that. We need to hear it. You know, I'm I'm always amazed when I think about uh, the Old Testament prophecies and how they have all been fulfilled by the birth, life, death, and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. It, it, It boggles my mind because I live in a culture where, I mean, literally, promises are made to be broken, right? I mean, truly, we live in a culture where promises are made so that they can be broken, uh, and it's all over. We can't trust anybody. It's hard to trust anyone. And yet, here is a God, by the accounts of J. Barton Payne, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, there are 127 Messianic prophecies involving more than 3,000 Bible verses. Think about that for a second. Spanning thousands of years. You want to put that chart up? This is some of how these have been fulfilled. Isaiah 7, 14, virgin born, fulfilled in Luke 1, 26 through 53. We did Micah 2, Hosea 11, flight to Egypt, Matthew 2, 14. And go through that list, and that's just a very short piece of that. Like, this is our God. He is a promise-keeping God. Hallelujah. Think about that. He he is one who is keeping promises. And I love what Walter Kaiser says. I have the quote there in your outline. The prophecies about the Messiah were not a bunch of scattered predictions randomly placed throughout the Old Testament, but they form a unified promise plan of God where each promise is interrelated and connected into a grand series comprising one continuous plan of God. How amazing is that? All of it, all interrelated, all in the plan of God. Who could do something like this? Only a sovereign God could do it. Only somebody who knows the beginning from the end. Only someone who's actually created all things. And this is our promise-keeping God. This is the baby who came, the servant king who died. And now, brothers and sisters, he's the one that we can look at with great hope. He's coming back again. We saw the then, but let's look at the now. Amen? I need to know the now. I don't know about you. And I have great confidence because of the then. Because if that promise-keeping God who did all of that is promising something to come, I can... Bank on it. How about you? Revelation 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him 
who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now listen to this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The most dramatic event in all of history will be the visible appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey. Eh? Can, is there anything more dramatic? Can you think of anything more dramatic? I mean, think about that for a second. No one is going to miss it when it occurs. Every eye is going to see it. He's going to appear everywhere at one time. Have you thought about that? You know, I used to think about it and go, he'd have to be really high up. I mean, really high up. And then I thought, but wait a second. You know, I started doing ministry in South Africa and thought, well, if he's high up for the northern hemisphere, he's not high up for the southern hemisphere. How's that working? And, you know, then, then I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, um, hmm, this is God we're talking about now. And then, then, I, then I was thinking, you know, we live in a world right now where we can actually simulcast an event around the world. And people can see that event no matter where they're at, Right? Now, if we're able to do something like that, just think about the technology God has. All right? Just think about that for a second. So I have no qualms that however it's going to happen, it is going to be absolutely amazing. Because, you know, I believe that heaven's another dimension. It's actually right here. So if he's breaking through that dimension, his secret appearance is now going to become before all of us. It's going to be absolutely amazing. All of us, no matter where we're at. He's going to appear, and he's going to appear in the Shekinah glory cloud. This is, this is really good stuff. Do you remember the Shekinah glory cloud? Do you know where it was? Do you remember where it was first? How about in the wilderness when the Israelites were lost? But by day, the cloud was there, and it reminded them that God was present with them. And then when the temple was built, where did the Shekinah glory cloud go? Into the temple. People would know the presence of God. And now this cloud is the cloud that Jesus comes on. And it means we now are seeing the presence of God. Hallelujah. How amazing is that? He is coming. Hallelujah. I can't wait. It's going to be such an unveiling. The last time the world saw him, where was he? He was on a cross. He was on a cross. They thought, look at this. He's got no power. Look at the shame. But no, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back in power and in glory. Hallelujah. This is our Savior. This is the servant king. Praise the Lord. Do you get excited about this? Or am I the only one who gets excited about it? This is 
what is before us. And you know the thing that's going to mark this? This, this is great. The characteristic that's going to mark this appearing is that God is going to live with his people forever. Ah, what? What? God is going to live with us forever. Like we're going to walk with God. I mean, think about that for a second. We're going to be able to look at him. We're going to be able to talk to God. This is, this is amazing. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his People And God himself will be with them as their God. Hallelujah. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, listen, it is Done. What? It is done. This is God saying this, right? This ain't us. This is God saying this. It is done. It is already a reality. It is already an unshakable hope because of what Jesus, the little baby in Bethlehem did on the cross and through the resurrection and at the ascension. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a picture of the future. Where is Jesus coming? He's coming here. In a new earth, and a new heaven, making all things new. It's interesting that he says making all things new. He doesn't say making new things. But making all things that exist new, including us. Amen? Oh, man. What is your picture of the future? What's your picture of the future? My grandsons, when I put them to bed, love for me to tell them stories. You know, made-up stories with them in the story. They love it, you know. Uh, so a couple of nights ago, uh, putting them down the bed and, you know, Pop, got to tell us stories. So, you know, one of them I have is that they're all superheroes and they all have their own planet. And, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff with that. Uh, but but, but because, because this one was more, okay, it's wintertime. It's, uh, you know, it's cold out. I'm going to do a snowman story, man. And here they are. They're braving the storm. The wind's coming down. But they decide they're going to go out, and they're going to build the biggest snowman, and they're rolling it up. And, you know, I'm rolling the, it up, and I'm putting it on top, and I'm rolling it again. And they're, they're looking at me. And my one grandson, Tucker, says to me, he says, Pop, you know, this is something. He says, because when you're saying that, I get all these pictures in my mind. <laughs> and isn't that amazing? But isn't that what God does for us? He gives us pictures to put into our mind about the future. Do you see that? You've got to know that. He didn't just put it there in the Bible so people can make charts. And I'm sorry for you who do. I'm not coming down on you. But he did it 
so that we can know the future. And it's unchangeable. It is done in Jesus Christ. We need to have our mind looking at these things because they're the reality. The stuff out there, that's going to die. That's going to burn. That's going to fade. That's going to perish. But this, this is lasting forever. And I just thank God. And I love what Daryl Johnson says in Discipleship on the Edge. Listen to these words. Is it right to spend time thinking about the future? It is impossible not to. And here is the practical consequence of this fact of our humanity. Our picture of the future automatically shapes the way we live in the present. The quality of the present is shaped by our experience of the past and by our understanding of the future which says to me that I will want to get the future as straight as I can. You're thinking about the future right now. How many of you are thinking about what you're going to go eat? How many of you think about, oh, I got to go visit so-and-so, and now you're depressed? Yeah, I mean, but think about it. We are always got something going on, and it's always about the future, and it shapes the way I'm feeling right now. And then if you add the past to that, Jeez, really? So we can now look back at the past and we can see the great promise keeper. <laughs> Hallelujah! Fulfilling all the promises of the Savior, Shepherd, Servant, King in Jesus Christ, where Paul could say, Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! And we can look back and we can be shaped by that truth that's there, that's solid, that's historical, that's done, that is finished in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That should shape the way we think about the past. And for all of us who have struggled, maybe you've been in some hard situations, maybe by, you know, and they've been hard. But here's the God who can come and speak to your heart. And if he hasn't, I pray that he does because he has words of comfort. He gives you the ability to do supernatural things, even forgive, which is absolutely unbelievable in some of the situations that we know about. And yet God has done that. He can shape that past in such a way that you're now living a different life, looking ahead to the future with amazing hope. Hallelujah. This is our God. This is the baby that was born. And the one who's coming back again. That's why we should be saying, Lord, come back. Come back, Jesus. How amazing is it going to be? But that is our future. And even if we have to experience death, we know on the other side of that, that is our future. Nothing can take it away from us. Let's let that Fill our mind and hearts this Christmas season. If you want to think about the future, think about this great shepherd who's here with us now in the spirit. He's taking care of us right now. And I know, yeah, I know. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, right? It doesn't. There's hard things that are going on. And we're experiencing them. But in that hardship, there is an unshakable hope 
a future that is ours in Christ Jesus that will never be taken from us. And even for those loved ones that we love, there is the ability to grieve with hope. Amen? This is our God. Let's live out of these truths today. Let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we, we are just amazed at, at who you are. What an amazing God that you are a promise keeper who in the midst of our own rebellion and our own sin pursues us, loves us, sends a Savior, opens the door, brings reconciliation, brings forgiveness, brings peace, brings adoption, opens the door of our hearts to see our need. Lord, we thank you that we can stand here together and say, Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that we can be here together and we can say, He's coming back again. And when He does, we will dwell with Him forever. Thank you, Lord, that we have an unshakable hope. May we live out of that. May we, Lord, see the past and see Your love. And then, Lord, may we see a picture of the future that we may wait with great hope. And I pray this in Your precious name. Amen.